Let's go to Romans, the first chapter, and Luke, chapter 4. Romans, chapter 1, and Luke, chapter 4. We began some weeks ago on a series entitled, Good News for the Poor. And our texts are right here in Romans 1, and also in Luke Four. Romans 1.15, he said, so as much as in me is, with everything that's in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He's writing them, telling them he's coming, and he said, I am ready to preach to you right now. <laughs> ready to preach what? Not just anything. Not my convictions. Not my political affiliations. Not social reform. Hmm? Not just what I think and my experiences. What? Preach the gospel. Now, gospel is a word that you hear a lot. But just because you're familiar with it doesn't mean you know what it means. And the word gospel simply means the good message. Good tidings you hear oftentimes good news. But the good message. In the next verse here, verse 16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The gospel is the power of God. You nor I nor anybody on the planet would be born again today had it not been for the gospel. We heard the gospel. And through hearing it, we saw what Jesus has done for us. Faith came from hearing it. We were enabled to believe it and to receive it. The gospel is the power of God to save you. And the word save in the New Testament Greek, the, the word sozo, has to do with complete salvation. When you say, I'm saved, you said a lot. Amen. Yeah, saved from hell, but much more. Amen. Saved from all kind of things that are a result of the fall and sin and the curse in the earth. We studied and shouted a few weeks ago about Galatians 3.13 says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Amen. And if you read in Deuteronomy 28, there's a whole list of things including sickness and, and trauma and, and vexation of mind and poverty and lack and, and loss all kind of things. This part of the curse of the law. And the Bible says we've been redeemed from it. Amen. That's good news. Yes. That is the good message. Not just a good message. The good message. Amen. Now notice what he says here. He says I am not ashamed. Of the gospel of Christ. Why would he say that? The very existence of this phrase. Indicates he had been pressured to be ashamed or he had been tempted or pulled or pushed to be ashamed and he's resisting it and saying I'm not going to be I'm not ashamed is there 
pressure to be ashamed of the gospel. Oh yeah. Primarily because the gospel is the devil's worst nightmare. <laughs> Look in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. 2 Corinthians 4 4. Back up to verse 3. 2 Corinthians 4 3 says, If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. What's the problem with people that are lost? They don't see the gospel. And verse 4, why don't they see it? The God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who's the image of God, should shine unto them. The gospel is of Christ, the good news of Jesus, what he has come to do, what he has accomplished, what he is doing right now at the right hand of majesty, what he's about to do and coming back and getting us, that is, that doesn't just talk about the power, it is the power. In this message is the power to set you free from any result of sin and curse. The devil cannot overpower the gospel. Impossible. So what he can do is try to keep people from ever seeing it. That's his best move. Now, in order to keep people from ever seeing it, the best thing is to go to the source of its emanation. Now, when I say source, I really mean channel. But the human side of it. It comes from God, but it comes through. He has ordained that people be saved by what people call, the, the uh, ungodly folks call, the foolishness of preaching. And so he endeavors to suppress the preaching of the gospel and to shame people, to confuse people, whatever he can do to get somebody that might tell the gospel to not tell it or not tell it boldly, or not tell all of it, whatever they can do. Why? Because the gospel proclaimed boldly and heard and believed is unstoppable. Unstoppable. I don't care how base a man or woman has been, how much sin, how awful, how terrible, if they will hear and believe this gospel and act on it, all the devils in hell combined can't prevent them from being saved and getting free. It is the power of God. The gospel. But there is this incessant being a preacher of the gospel. I have some small experience in this. And I'll tell you, there are forces arrayed to shut you up. If not shut you up, to at least get you to back off of some of it. And at least get you to not be so bold. and To get you to be intimidated or to get you to be ashamed. You know, I was, I was talking with somebody the other day, a fellow minister. And I told him, I said, everybody I know, every preacher I know, same deal. Every time you speak, I don't care People could have been jumping and shouting and running the aisles. And after you speak, the devil will come and say, well, that was lousy. <laughs> I mean, you should have not even got up. You know, that was the 
most terrible job. And he's always trying to get you to feel bad about it and, and to be embarrassed about it. And he is the shamer. Did you know this? Always trying to shame you for this. Shame you for that. Why? Because condemnation just pulls the rug out from under your confidence. If you're full of condemnation, you have no confidence. You know? And uh, how many understand it wouldn't be any ministry to it if I come in here dragging around with my head down and and say, well, you know, I I was going to share something here with you, but you probably won't like it, and it's uh, you probably already know more than that, and it's it's, it's nothing much to it. Uh, but I'll I'll read it if you want to. Uh, now you laugh, but have you seen any of that? Yeah. Why? Because there's this constant pressure. And temptation to shame. And you can see the Spirit of God boldness in Paul coming up saying, I, I think he bellowed it. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. With everything that's in me, I'm ready to preach this to you and I'm coming to you. Get ready. Cause I don't mince words. I'm not going to back off. I'm not ashamed of this. This is true. It's the power of God to save you. You know, more than once he said this in Ephesians. He asked them to pray for him that he would preach this thing boldly. Why say that? Because there's pressures to get you to back off and to not proclaim it. But Because the devil is trying to keep this hid. He's trying to keep people blind from seeing it. Now, in the fourth chapter of Luke... Luke chapter 4 and 18. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, the gospel, good news, good message, to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of the sight to the blind, set at liberty them that are bruised. Now, so many times because of religious tradition, when people hear he sent me to preach the gospel to the poor, they think being born again. To tell the poor they can be born again. But no, he's specific in every area here. That's good news to the lost. Back up and go from the bottom. What's good news to those that are bruised in shackles and chains? You can be born again. No, you can be set at liberty. What's good news to the blind? You can be born again? No. You can see. And what's good news to the captives? You can be delivered. Glory to God. What's good news to the brokenhearted? You can be healed. What's good news to the poor? You can be rich. Now there are many Good church-going people that would try to shame us for saying that and believing that and say, oh, no, no, now, you know, the gospel, I've had people write me ugly letters and say, now, we don't preach all that healing stuff like you do, and we don't preach all that prosperity stuff, we just preach the gospel. And yet, we studied a week or so ago in Acts 14, 
We saw that Paul preached the gospel and a man heard him and got faith to be healed from hearing the gospel. What the Bible, what the Holy Ghost, what Paul called the gospel. And yet what many call the gospel, no one ever gets faith to be healed from hearing it. They get faith to be born again, but they'd never get faith to be healed. But if we preach the same gospel, Paul preached. How many think we ought to preach the same? Preach it just the same. Not drop off parts of it and change parts of it. I mean, he was, the Spirit of God through him was very, very strong. He said, I don't care if me, myself, or an angel from heaven comes and preaches any different gospel than what we preached. Let them be accursed. He, in other words, he said, this thing is non-changeable. No edits. No updates. None. Not by me. Not see, now he said myself. If I, he's the one that preached it to them the first time. He's the one they heard it from. He said, if I come back later and try to change this thing, don't you receive it. If an angel out of heaven comes and tries to change this, don't you receive it. Why? It was perfect when it came. It don't need to be changed. No, if we preach the true gospel, the full gospel... People will hear it. They will get faith to be born again. They'll also get faith to be healed. And is there any good news for the poor? Huh? Is there any good? There is. Tell me what good news to the poor is. Okay, I'll tell you. (laughs) Let me just read a few scriptures to you. You tell me if you think they're good news or not. You don't have to turn to all these. Psalm 35, 27 says... Let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Is that good news? That's good news. Ecclesiastes 5 and 19. Ecclesiastes 5 and 19, it says, Every man also to whom God has given riches and wealth and has given him power to eat thereof and take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. Riches. Wealth and the power and ability to enjoy them is the gift of God. It's a blessing. It's a curse. Abraham knew this. Isaac and Jacob knew this. David knew this. Solomon knew this. Hezekiah knew this. It's only in recent days that people have gone to school. (laughs) And twisted stuff and figured out that poverty, you know, might be a blessing in disguise. You won't find any scriptures about blessings in disguise. God ain't disguising anything. He's very upfront and open. He says, this is a curse. It's a curse on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every month of the year, every year. This is a blessing. It was a blessing. It is a blessing. It'll always be a blessing. Never does a curse stop being a curse and start being a blessing. Never is a blessing a curse in disguise. This thing is simple if you don't let theologians confuse you. God is a good God. He does good things. Being lost is bad. Being saved is good. Huh? Being sick is bad. Being healed is good. 
People get them twisted. Oh, you know, you know, God's ways are mysterious. And you know, he may be teaching you something through this disease. Why don't you hurry up and learn it so you can get healed? No, see, this is ridiculous. People sick and suffer for years and years and still ain't got a clue what God might be teaching them. Well, either he's a bad teacher or you're a slow learner. What's going on here? No, this is error. Poverty is bad. Having plenty is good. Don't confuse it. Don't twist it. Say it out loud. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, verse 3. It says, being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he said at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. Everybody say, very precious. precious. Now, precious, we could also say very expensive. Say very expensive. expensive. Uh, Not just expensive, what? Are you against expensive? Are you sure? Because if you're against expensive, you'd sure be against very expensive. (laughs) Very precious. She broke the box and poured it on his head. Now, I would assume that this was the kind of thing concentrated a little dab would do you. (laughs) And very expensive. As you see just later on, it says it could have been sold for 300 pence. Well, a pence was an average day's wage. So 300 out of 365 days, this is almost a year's wage, depending on what you made. So we're talking at least tens of thousands of dollars, uh, more like probably scores of thousands of dollars in today's money. And she just breaks it, kaplop. And in some people's mind, this was blowing money, as we'll see. So there were some that had indignation within themselves. Now, this word indignation means to be grieved, to be displeased, to be vexed, to be angry. And I saw some things this weekend that I hadn't seen in this It's it's stronger than I had realized it. They really got irate and they really came down on her. They said, why was this waste? Everybody say waste. waste. This waste of the ointment made. Verse five. It might have been sold for more than 300 pence and had been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. Now, If you look those words up, they murmured against her. The idea and the verbiage is to her, not just about her. Other translations bring this out. It says uh, in the uh, today's living Bible, the living Bible, it said uh, they were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume? They asked verse four. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. They scolded her harshly. And uh, 
Also in, let's see, in uh, God's Word translation, verse 5, says, uh, well, verse 4, why was the perfume wasted like this? And verse 5 says, they said some very unkind things to her. They came down on her harshly. And they're saying, what is wrong with you? You just threw this away. You just wasted this. This could have been sold for thirty, forty thousand dollars You know how many people that could have fed? You know how many people that could have helped? Have you ever heard anything like that before? Are they trying to shame her? They are. They're trying to shame her. And they're not just trying to shame her. There's two sides to this. There's a giving side and a receiving side. Jesus received this. So what are they saying about him? They are accusing her and him of being foolish, being poor stewards, not caring about the poor. Not They're accusing Jesus of not doing enough for the poor. Aren't they? Jesus did things for the poor. This woman may have done things for people in need. If she had a heart like that, she probably did. If you're a giver, you're a giver. And we're right in the middle of it right now. This stuff, their indignation, they're coming down on her. They're judging her. They're trying to shame her. This is the ugly stuff. We must get rid of. Don't presume you have none of it. You and I are the product of generations that have believed this in different measures and parts. You've heard it preached from the pulpit if you've been in church all your life. Now it wasn't just Judas. Judas was apparently, if you read John 12, he was apparently the most vocal, the leader of this thing, saying this to this woman. But the other disciples got involved too. If you read all the accounts, they got drawn in and sucked into this and they were righteously indignant too. Yes. This could have been given to the poor. Now see, that sounds fine, does it? That sounds like a good, noble thing. That we care about the poor. And yet John 12 says. This Judas said. Not because he cared for the poor. But because he was a thief. And had to bag. The scripture talks about. A cloak for covetousness. Judas was a thief. And when he saw all that money. That could have gone into the bag. That he could have gotten access to. And could have got some of it in his pocket. It upset him so bad. And he knows. It's not right to go. I wanted that money. (laughs) He knows that's not right. So what does he say instead? This could have been sold. And given to the poor. You don't care about the poor. What does he really mean? 
I wanted this money. This was a lot of money. Look at all this money. Brother Kenneth Hagin Sr., my father in the faith, who's gone home to be with the Lord, said he had an experience with the Master in which he was teaching him about how to be led by the Holy Spirit. Anybody in here thankful for learning how to be led? It's just one of the greatest things you could ever learn in your life. If this is, sounds new to you, oh friend, get the materials we have and anything that anybody else has that will help you along this line. Learn about this. How to be led by the Spirit. And he said towards the end of it, a spectacular experience, a vision that he had. He said the Lord looked at him and said, uh, if you'll learn to be led by my Spirit, I'll make you rich. I'll make you rich. And when he heard it, it bothered him. He thought, rich? He'd never heard anything like that. And of course, uh, in the churches he was in, you wouldn't have heard that. You'd have heard something contrary to that. And of course, the Lord knows what you're thinking. He said before he could even say anything, the Lord looked at him and said, I'm not opposed to my children being rich. I'm opposed to their being covetous. That is the word. That is, of course, if that was him that said it, it would be in line with this. He is the word. And I assure you, that is the word. Before this series is over, I'm planning on, Lord help us, that's where we should go, to get into detail in this. Said out loud, God is not opposed to me being rich. He is opposed to me being covetous. Is there a difference between being rich and being covetous? Can you be rich without being covetous? Can you be covetous without being rich? (laughs) Covetousness is craving. Craving money, craving what money can get you, things, a lifestyle. Do not underestimate it. Because in some people's pursuit of the doctrine of prosperity, they have used it as an excuse to yield to covetousness. And it's not okay. We want to be rid of covetousness as well. And again, don't assume that you don't have any of it to deal with. We've all (laughs) longed for stuff and money too much. I remember when I was 13. Man, I wanted a motorcycle. I wanted a motorcycle so bad. Other uh, other boys had pictures of girls and sports figures on their bedroom wall. I had a picture of a motorcycle. <laughs> I can see it now. It was one guy's going down the road and the trees were blurring by and his hair was in the wind. I'd just sit and look at that for an hour going, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was this little little Harley that became available, used piece of junk. And, and I wanted it so bad. My dad told me, I don't think we ought to get that. I don't think that's what you need. And it just made me sick because I I wanted it so bad, and and uh, of course I knew better than to pitch a fit in front of him. But uh, I left and went outside and stomped around in the backyard and and moped and 
and I prayed. Oh God, if you'll let me have that motorcycle. I ride it to church all the time. Oh Lord, if you'll. Now you're laughing, but have you ever done anything like this? Tell me what that is. Covetousness. Now, is the Lord against me prospering and having a motorcycle? No. Is he against me craving and longing for motorcycles more than I do him? Very much so. Is he against motorcycles being more important to me than my father's counsel and wishes and wisdom? Hmm? Being annoyed with him or you see all this. Longing and craving for stuff. It is the root of all kinds of evil. Isn't it? Oh, it's bad stuff. It's evil stuff. You see, people have tried to use faith as a cover for their covetousness. They see something that somebody's got and they want it. They long for it. So they claim it. They don't need it. They don't care that much for it. I just, I'm just going to believe that God will deal with them to give it to me. And go around and start making confessions. I claim it. I thank you for it. I claim it. That's not faith. If anything, it's a version of witchcraft. You're trying to do incantations to manipulate a person's will to giving you their stuff. And yet people call it prayer. And faith. No. If it's theirs. It's not yours. Get your eyes off of it. Get your mind off of it. Didn't the law say. One of the ten commandments. You shall not covet. Your neighbor's donkey. Or his ox. Or his house. Or his wife. Or anything that your neighbor has. Do not cut. What does that mean? Don't get your eyes on it. Don't look at it. Don't let yourself think about it. It's nothing to you. It's not yours. That's right. If you have faith in God, you know you don't have to. I don't have to long after their stuff or their life or their wife or husband. God's a good God. He loves me. That's theirs. If I care about them, I don't want to take their stuff away from them. Break their heart. Mess up their life. But you see that's the problem. Loving the stuff more than God. Loving the stuff more than people. It's evil. Don't underestimate it. Don't think well yeah you know a lot of people have trouble with that. (laughs) Yeah like to the right and the left and in front and back and in your seat. (laughs) Everywhere. And friend, folks are blowing it every other day. Christians, people going to church. People you would not think would do some of the stuff that they do. They just up and lie and steal and commit adultery and cheat on this and that. Why? They wanted that. And they they just let their self think on it and dwell on it. Until it, those constant craving tormented them. The Bible calls it 
idolatry. Colossians, what is it, 3, 5 or so? It says covetousness is idolatry. It's the same thing in spirit as praying to a rock. Because there's something more important to you. You have put it ahead of God. So it's the Lord's a good God. Listen to what he told Brother Hagin. If you learn how to be led by my spirit, I'll make you rich. I'm not opposed to my children being rich. Do you believe the Lord actually said that? Hmm? Can you find it anywhere in the scripture, this kind of thing? How about John 10.10? I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly to the full till it overflows. Don't trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. He's not opposed to us being rich. I want you to get used to that word. I actually had a fellow years ago meet me out in the parking lot of a place where I spoke. He was so mad, I thought he was going to swing at me. He was so, he was irate, indignant. You know what his big problem was? I kept saying rich. Rich, rich. God will make you rich. He wants you to be rich. Rich. And he didn't realize I'm quoting scriptures that's got rich in them. How many know if rich is in the scripture, it can't be all bad? (laughs) But see, there's been such twisted and warping by religious tradition. Now, go back to this passage, Mark 14. Let's identify this. Let's see what it looks like, what it sounds like, and make up our mind we are having none of this in us. I believe this is key to the Lord taking us to the next place. They said, Mark 14, 4, they had indignation within themselves. They were grieved. They were angry. They said, why was this waste of the ointment made? What did the ointment go on? So are they saying she wasted this on Jesus? Wasted on Jesus. They're telling her, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. And without saying it, they're telling Jesus, you ought to be ashamed too for letting her do this and receiving this when you know how many people this would feed. Because the implication is the most important thing that a, a, a real godly person could ever do is help the poor. And if you really are a godly person, you would never have any expensive stuff. Because if you were real spiritual and really godly, you would liquidate what you had and give it to the poor. This is a lie. This is a lie. Let's a question. Are the poor more important than Jesus? They're saying they are. And by saying that, they're saying the poor are more important than anybody who 
represents Jesus. Because he said, if you receive the one I send, you receive me. And if you did it under the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Somebody said, that's strong. It needs to be. We need to be jarred out of this hypocrisy and judging. It is a wonderful thing to help people in need. Wonderful. We've done it. We want to do a lot more of it. It's one of the reasons we're believing to be in the best shape we've ever been in. So we can do more. But it is not the Great Commission. It is not the most important thing we're supposed to do. It's not the main thing Jesus did, nor preached. He didn't say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to help the poor. He's anointed me to give to the poor. He didn't say that. What did he say? To preach the gospel to the poor. Now see, that's where, where you lose people. They go, well, there's all this preaching. We got too many preachers and churches as it is. We need to actually give them something. You're wrong. You're wrong. If that's what you should have done, Jesus would have done that. He didn't. If you help somebody, that's a noble thing. But that doesn't fix their situation. And did the Lord intend that people be dependent on us? That they have to reach out to us and be dependent on us? Why don't and why can't they have the same source? We have. Why can't the same God who blessed and helped them, bless them? Bring them up. We've read it. He takes those off the garbage heap and lifts them up and sets them with princes. God never intended that any man or woman be dependent upon or have to beg any company, any government, have to go to the local church, have to go to anybody that's got more money, that is demeaning, it's debasing, it's not right. It's acting like there's no God. Come on, do you believe that anybody in the worst circumstances ever can believe the gospel? Come on now, is there power in the gospel to save you out of your poverty and you can you don't have to go through any man or any woman or any government or any pastor you can go straight to the source straight to the source (laughs) and he will hear you and you don't have to be a beggar you don't have to grovel in front of anybody you don't have to be dependent on anybody you don't have to go around poor mouthing and begging and and trying to trick somebody and manipulate somebody and flatter somebody and this is ungodly and you don't have to live that way this is good news to the poor who thought the only way they could ever get ahead was to lie or to steal or to get in buddy buddy with somebody that's got something and uh, that is still you being poor even if you got something on the outside you still be poor on the inside That's how you see yourself. That's what you are. And the Bible talks about your soul prospering. 
And then the outside prospering, what's going to do that for you? Not somebody handing you a check. The gospel is the only thing that can do that for you. It is the power of God under salvation. Come on, can you see this? I know a few years back, a minister friend of mine got an airplane. It wasn't a big airplane. It was kind of a middle-sized one. And it was 20-something years old. But it was great. And he said, he said I'm going to be close by. Can you come see it? And I said, oh, man, yeah. You don't have to ask me twice to come see an airplane. <laughs> and, and I went by into this airport and I and looked at it. And I was ooing and on. And Phyllis was with me. We were ooing and on over it and going, oh, glory to God. Isn't this great, man? You could... You can just do so much more and, and be so much more rested and, and wonderful. And, and sitting right beside it was Gulfstream 5. Now, Gulfstream 5 is a big boy airplane, and, and it's like a $45 million airplane. It dwarfed his little airplane, and it was new, and it was owned by a department store a company that you'll see in some of the malls and what have you, shops clothing and that kind of thing. And I understood they had more than one of these. And some of the people that were there working at the FBO, they call it, where the airplanes come in, uh, there was one guy met us and he knew me and this preacher. He was elated. And he was just, he said, oh, glory to God. Uh, he got this airplane. I said, yeah. Oh, man, he was shouting. He'd been listening to the word. He knew both of us. But some of the other people that were there, we, they didn't say it to our face, but they said it to him. What? How ridiculous. What does a preacher need with something like this? How ridiculous. And they, they said some unkind things, and it made him mad. And he came by to, to me, and he said, do you know what they're saying? And I started telling him, I don't want to know. <laughs> but before I could, he's, he's informing me. He said, they said this and about him, and they said this about you. And he said... I know I ain't been saved long, but I'm, I'm going to go punch that one guy. <laughs> I just believe the Lord will forgive me. I said, no. <laughs> he did. He, he was mad. He was upset. And I understand where he's coming from. Because it is, it is rank hypocrisy. There's something that's irritating about it. And that's part of it. It's the hypocrisy in judging. They had not one word to say about this $45 million you know, it's fine if a department store, auto parts, owner of a pornographic magazine has one. But if a preacher or a church or a ministry has got a little one that's 30 years old and is a fraction of that, that's just awful. Disgusting. And I said something to him that I had not said, I hadn't been able to express it that way before. I said, no, no, no. I said, calm down. Now, that, that'll just make things worse. It won't help anything. I said, that's not the first time people have talked bad about me and him. And uh, don't, don't be concerned. We're still happy. I'm, gonna, I'm still going to rejoice with my brother's airplane. I'm not going to let them rain on our parade. Here. We're having a good time. We're rejoicing and giving thanks. I said, they just see... No value in what we do. And it got me, I had not said it like that before. The Lord helped me to express it. And it set me on a line of meditation because I'd been looking for answers. What is the problem here? What, why do people 
so irate about all this kind of stuff. And, and because with most of it, it's none of their business. It didn't cost them anything. What is it to them, you know? But they are very angry and upset and judgmental. They see no value. Now, they claim to see value in helping the poor. But they don't see any value in preachers going around hollering and talking and waving their arms and, and all these preachers that are just social clubs and, you know, helping somebody that's hungry. Now that's godly. But all this other junk, they just need to get rid of all that. The country would be better off if all these preachers and churches were wiped off the map. There's people that believe that. They see no value in the messenger, which means they see no value in the message. And they're trying to shame us for the message. Now what are they saying to Jesus? Which is more important? Can you adamantly say the poor are more important than the preacher? What do the poor need? Go to Romans 10. Yeah, if a guy's hungry, if a woman's hungry, if a kid is hungry, something to eat looks mighty good. But that's not the end. It doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't fix everything. And you can't feed everybody on the planet, and I can't, and no government, and no company, and no rich people combined can. You could sell your house, you could sell your car, you could be living in the street tomorrow yourself and not make a dent in the needs of this world. Now that doesn't mean you should do nothing, but nor does it mean you should feel condemned if you don't impoverish yourself or that you should feel condemned if you have anything nice. How much are you supposed to do? Mark 14. Let's keep reading this. Verse 6. Jesus said what? Let her alone. Why don't you try that out a little bit. Say it out loud. Let her alone. Say it again. About what? She wants to blow $30,000 in one pop. It ain't going to build a church. It ain't going to feed anybody. It's going to make a preacher. A prophet. Mr. Well, the son of God. They didn't see that. They didn't know that. You know they didn't see that if they're accusing him of not caring enough for the poor. And he says, let her alone. Why trouble you her? Why are you coming down on her like this? Now let's go over this real carefully. This could have been sold and given to the poor. That is a quote from who? Judas, Judas Iscariot. Yep. That's right. Leave her alone. She has done a good work on me. That's a quote from who? Jesus. Jesus. Now which one are you going to quote? Jesus. Listen to other translations. Put up the Amplified of that. Jesus said, let her alone. Why are you troubling her? She has done a good and beautiful thing to me. 
praiseworthy and noble. The uh, Good News Translation. Good News Translation. Do we have that one? Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a fine and beautiful thing for me. Somebody say fine and beautiful. beautiful. Jesus called it a good thing. They called it a total waste and a bad thing. Do we need mind renewal? Now sure, people can make too much of people. But you also can make too much of money. And that's what's going on here. You ever heard somebody say, what do they need a house like that for? What do they need with all that? What are they saying? They're saying that's too good for them. They're not worth that. They're saying the money and that is worth more than them. That's too good for them. That's what those guys were saying with my friend there. So they were saying that plane's too good for him. He don't need that. They are elevating a piece of metal and despising a child of God. They're saying he what he's doing is worthless. He don't need that to fly around and do that. They don't need that building for that. And they don't need that land for that. And they need to help the poor. Now, Jesus said, You leave her alone. She has done a fine thing. She has done a good thing. She has done a beautiful thing for me. Verse 7, keep reading. You'll always have poor people with you, and anytime you want to, you can help them. They told him, poor people are more important than you. And you shouldn't be receiving this. She shouldn't be doing this for you. You should be doing this to the poor. He corrected them. He said, that's not right. You leave her alone. She has done a good thing. Now, I want you to get revelation now. What she did in popping this thirty, forty thousand dollar box, Jesus says a good thing. If it was a good thing for her to give it, it was a good thing for her to have it. Come on. If she hadn't had it, she couldn't have done it. It is so irrational when people say, You shouldn't have all that. You should do something for the poor. If you don't have anything, You can't do anything for the poor. If you are poor, how much can you help the poor? Ignorant. No, the better shape we're in, the more we have, the more we can do. But we're not supposed to feel ashamed if we've got some nice stuff or we do some nice things that's not only for the poor. Because that's not the Great Commission. That's not even the most important thing happening. It's important. It's good. It's not the Great Commission. They're telling him, this is worth more than you. This is too much to be wasted on Jesus. Does that rub you wrong to hear that? (laughs) But here's the revelation you got to get. Inasmuch as you did or didn't do it, 
to his brethren, you did or didn't do it to him. Go to Matthew, the 25th chapter. You got time for this or are you big, big hurry today? We got time. Hmm? We're rich. Rich. Rich in time. Rich in opportunity. Rich in resources. You know, the richer you are, the more time you got. I mean, there's times when I, you know, Phyllis and I had, we met each other just kind of passing and going and working multiple jobs and, and all this kind of thing. Now we're in the middle of a season where, you know, she's there and I'm here and vice versa sometime. But other than that, man, I got more time than I've ever had. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Why? I, we're rich and yet I'm preaching and going and doing places, but I'm rich in resources. I'm rich in help yes. in the church. People in their place, you don't have to check up on them four times a day. They're faithful. They do it right. They do it every time. That's rich. And plenty of money and and plenty of ability. And I'm saving, you know, I was looking at something the other day. I did it in uh, two hours and 12 minutes in the airplane. I realized it would have taken me two days of driving. That's being rich. I got a whole day. A whole day. What's a day worth? In your life, a day is worth more than money. But see, if you don't get your mind renewed, you think money is worth more. People say, well, I got more time than I do money. You're wrong. Money you can replace. Time is irreplaceable. Which is more valuable. We must get our mind renewed and not see Things as so valuable, even super expensive things. What are they? They're just stuff. God's important. People are important. The message is important. The kingdom is important. Come on, are you with me, friends? That's what's important. And you can't spend too much on people. If it blessed them, if it made them feel loved, if it encouraged them, how dare you call that a waste? It just means you care more about money than you do them. She couldn't have done it if she didn't have it. Oh, I'm about to get excited. This is where the Lord wants to take us. To take us to the place where we can do it because we have it. We can do it because we have it. Why do you act so funny? Because I believe it's happening. I, I, I'm believing it for me. And I'm believing it for you if you'll hook with me. But this is in our way. This passiveness and idleness about not reaping has been in our way. And This junk, this valuing stuff more than God and people, this hypocrisy and judging has been in our way. And the Lord's helping us to get it out of the way and get it out of his way so we can come up. Somebody say, I receive it. Matthew 25, verse 40. 
Matthew 25, 40, the king shall answer and say to them, Verily I say to you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Now I know that some people say, no, now Brother Keith, that applies to Jewish peoples. I do not believe that. I don't receive that interpretation of that verse. And I'll tell you why. It's because of what Jesus said in just a few chapters prior in Matthew 12. Back up to Matthew 12. Matthew 12 and 48, I guess it is. They came and told him that his mother, his blood kin and his brothers were outside wanting to talk to him. And this and another occasion in the scripture it mentions they tried to make a big deal out of his blood kin. One of them said, blessed is the one whose breast you nursed at. And he corrected them and said, no, rather blessed is the one that does this and that in the kingdom. And here they're trying to emphasize his blood relatives. And and he said, who is my mother? Who are my brethren? Now he said, in as much as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren. Let's let him tell us what he means by brethren. And it's what he had just said a few chapters before. And in verse 49, he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and he said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. He's talking about his disciples, not blood kin. Disciples. Verse 50, For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. That's us. I said, that's us. That's us. So he takes it personally. Is it possible for anyone to do again today what this woman did for Jesus? People say, well, now that's Jesus. But he set precedent. Most of what Jesus said and did is not recorded in the four gospel accounts. We're told that. So the things that are recorded were hand-picked by the Holy Ghost. Because they are precedent setting. And they are God's will revealed for all men for all time. Jesus went on to say, wherever this gospel is preached, that that this woman has done for me is going to be told. He permanently attached it to the gospel. It would have been the perfect place to demonstrate Don't do expensive things for people who don't need them. Give it to the poor. It would have been the perfect opportunity to make that crystal clear for everybody. But he didn't. He corrected them. And said she has done a fine thing and a beautiful thing. You believe it? Matthew 10 verse 40. Look at this. Just back up. And remember... Matthew 25, that's where we started. Matthew 12, Matthew 10, this all flows together. We're just backing up to see what he meant when he said, if you do it for my brethren, you did it for me. Jesus said, he that receives you does what? Receives me. He that receives me receives him that sent me. The Father sent him, and if you don't receive him, you don't receive the Father. He has sent people. And if you don't receive him, them, you don't receive him. 
And verse 41, he clarifies it further. He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet, what does that mean? That they receive them because they are called and anointed and sent of God. They'll receive what? A reward. Anybody interested in a reward? Prophet's reward. He that receives a righteous man, name of a righteous man, shall receive a righteous man's reward. He went on to say, uh, if you give a drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, that's because they are mine. I say to you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Why? Because inasmuch as you've done it to them, he takes it personally. He said, you did it to me. How many remember on the road to Damascus when Saul met Jesus and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why? Because he was persecuting the church. And he took it personally. Well, if he took it personally that you're hurting his brothers and sisters, the church, well, he'd certainly take it personally if you were blessing his brothers and sisters. It'd be the same. So it's still possible you and I have with us in our generation the opportunity and capability of seeing and being a part of the same kind of fine and beautiful things that Jesus refers to in this woman. We don't want to ever think that house, those clothes, that item, that jewelry piece, that car is too good for them. It's worth more than they are. What do they need with that? What is that compared to them? The Bible said the value of a soul ceases forever. Peter said, you were not redeemed with silver and gold. There is not enough gold in the universe to buy one soul. So what if they've got a million dollar car? How can it be too good for them? And too much for them? There was only one thing in all the world and universe and time and eternity that was valuable enough to buy souls. One thing and one thing only. The precious blood of the Lamb. And we are so valuable to him that he paid it all. Which means, how many understand, you don't pay something for something that's worth less value than what you're paying. So to him, we were worth that price. So instead of being infatuated with stuff and price tags and 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 thinking, well, that's ridiculous. They don't need all that, and that's too much for them. And what you're saying is that's too good for them. They're not good enough for that. And you're judging yourself unworthy. Oh, well, I don't need all that. That's too good for me, is what you're saying. They're not better than me, so it's too good for them. Instead of trying to pull everybody down to a low uh, sense of and self-estimation, let God lift you up and cause you to realize he wants you rich. He wants you rich. He wants to express these kind of things. The Lord has allowed Phyllis and I to do some of this, and it is some of the most fun stuff you could ever do. I know uh, years ago Phyllis had a ring that was the nicest thing that she had. It was uh, some nice diamonds and this and that. And the Lord dealt with her to sew it to this minister's wife. 
And she came to me because she said, "Ooh, you know, this is uh, this. You gave this to me, and and this is big." And but I felt like the Lord. I said, "Do it, do it, do it." And so she and we didn't know, but they were experiencing some really challenging time. We had no idea. And that lady came to her weeping and saying, "I cannot tell you what God did to me when you gave me that." I, I, it's feeling like I can't do this. I'm not enough. I'm not valuable enough. What was this woman saying? She's saying, this is the most valuable thing I got. But you eclipse it. I will break it and dump it on you. Because you are more valuable to me than anything. Whereas Judas... He was saying, ah, oh, such a waste of all this good money. And when he couldn't get a hold of it, the very next verse, did you read the next verses below that? Mm-hmm. Part of the passage. Go back to Mark 14. I want you to see it so I won't just quote it. What are we down about verse 9 or so? Mark 14, 9, 10. Just as soon as he had said, wherever this gospel is preached, that that this woman has done is going to be told. Verse 10 says what? Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest. He left straight and went to the priest to betray him to them. Verse 11. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Did he care about the poor? Not at all. What did he care about? Money. And what revealed is he didn't care about Jesus. He cared about 30 pieces of money more than he did Jesus. And that's why he is coming down on this woman. You know what is happening? Her love and value of Jesus has condemned him. She really does love him. He's more valuable to her than anything and anybody. And not so to Judas. He's ready to sell him out 30 pieces. I can see by faith. In the not too distant future. The Lord putting you as an individual and the Lord putting this church in the position of expressing great degrees of the love of God to people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. People that may be worn, may be feeling not so valuable, may be this, may be that. And the Lord is going to let us come into the situation and go pop. Let her flow. And folks will go, how much does that cost? You go, a lot. Very expensive. Not just expensive. Very. But you know what we care more about than this? You know what we care more about than this $100,000 item? You know what we care more about than this million dollar item? You. You. And we will gladly spend and be spent. And that will be God loving through us. He will reveal to them their value in his eyes. We'll be a part of it. We'll be a part of it. We'll be his expression. We'll be his hands. We'll be his feet. Glory to God. Somebody say glory to God.
Jesus said, what she has done, she has done a good thing on me. If she hadn't had it, if her doing it was a good thing, her having it was a good thing. Because she couldn't have done it if she hadn't had it. Do you think it wasn't the Lord's will for ever to, her to ever be able to do a good thing like that again? If it was a good thing, he's going to want her to be able to do good things again. So you know she should, have, and I'm sure she did, reap a harvest off of this great seed and was able to do things like this and greater yet. If it's good to do it, it's good to have it. Because you've got to have it before you can do it. And that's why we're becoming expert reaper. <laughs> Stand on your feet, everybody. Whoo-wee. Thank you, Lord. Are we going somewhere? Come on, can you feel it? Can you tell it? Are we headed somewhere? We're going somewhere? Oh, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. Thanks be unto God. Thanks be unto God. Thanks be unto God. Oh, just close your eyes and, and hold, hold your hand up in reference to the Lord. Or, or both of them said out loud, Father God, I love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. I love your people, your children, those you love. I love you. I love, you. I love what you love. love. Things, Things. Money, money are nowhere near, are nowhere near. As, important to me as important to me as you, as you. And, people. and people. Thank you, Thank you. for bringing us up, bringing us up. To, another to another place. Help me to see, me to see. any wrong thinking. Any judging, any judging, any hypocrisy, any, hypocrisy, any, wrong, priorities, any wrong priorities, twisted values. Twisted values. I, want I want it to be changed in me. I want your values, want your values. to be my values, be my values. your priorities, your my priorities, to love, love what you love. What you love. Hallelujah. And I thank you for it. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for ministering to us beyond today and into the days to come. Thank you that this word will not return void. But it will prosper in what you sent it to do. And accomplish the purposes you meant for it too. Somebody say the word is working. The word is working. Effectively. Effectively. Powerfully. Powerfully. Mightily. Mightily. In me. me. Praise God. Praise God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.